Welcome to Table 86, a podcast celebrating Black and other underrepresented talent transforming the landscape of the food and beverage industry. I'm your host, Gio Darwin. Let's take a seat. Black history is American history, and there is nuance, richness, and depth to the Black experience that can only be uncovered when we get to tell our stories. That's why it was so uplifting to be joined by scholar, journalist, and podcaster, Ariel D. Smith. Ariel is the founder of The Food Truck Scholar, a platform and podcast built to amplify the voices of current and aspiring Black food truck owners. Ariel shares her perspectives and research on Black food truck culture, past, present, and future. And before she goes, she highlights a few of her favorite food trucks she's gotten to enjoy throughout her research. Ariel, I can't thank you enough for joining the podcast. Oh, Gio, I'm so happy to be here. I met you through Clubhouse. I, you know, I'm based in Philly, so I'm going to use a Patti LaBelle reference. You are my <laughs> friend. Uh, you are my friend. I never knew it till then. Um, you have been so I love helpful. it. <laughs> you have been so helpful and so inspiring. And I love all the work you're doing with the Food Truck Scholar and helping to bring awareness and um, to that scene. So I am so excited to talk to you today and hear more about what you do and, and how you got into this work. Just starting out, can you tell me a little bit about yourself and uh, what you do? Yes. Yeah. So first of all, I am a proud Birmingham, Alabama native, 205 to the day I die. Oh, all right. <laughs> yes. My family has been in have lived in Birmingham for over 100 years. We first moved to Birmingham in 1919. Oh, and wow. So Yes, it's big because Birmingham was founded after the Civil War in 1871. So we just turned 150 years old as a city not too long ago. And for over 100 of those years, my family has been there. So I'm always very proud of that. Um, I am a graduate of the University of Alabama at Birmingham. So not the Crimson Tide, but go Blazers, (laughs) go Blazers. Uh, (laughs) That's where I pursued and earned a degree in business management with concentration in HR. That was my undergrad degree too. Child, let me tell you something. (laughs) I realized, (laughs) I knew that I I was entrepreneurial and I thought being a business major was always, was going to like fix that and like, not really fix it, but like get me in that path. And I realized I was not really feeling HR. Mm-hmm. Uh, ironically, I just did payroll this past week. So, you know, maybe, maybe it'll help me with something. I don't know. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so you got that degree, you know, I had sociology with an HR minor, Ooh. but business management um, for you with an HR. Um, and then from there, I, I saw that you went to graduate school. Yes, I did a master's degree in education at Vanderbilt. It was called Learning, Diversity, and Urban Studies. And um, I focused more on the null curriculum. So you as an instructor can feel this. You have your explicit curriculum that you're teaching on your syllabus. You know, two yes. plus two is four. But you also have your implicit curriculum, which is, you know, you're standing um on one side of the hallway in a single file line. That in, That's not in your curriculum, but it's a message that you're teaching nonetheless about how you want students to um, 
engage in the hallway physically, spatially, all that type of stuff. Mm, yes, yes. And then you get the null curriculum, which is what's not taught. And what you don't talk about screams just as loud as what you do teach. And so my capstone was called Null Means Numb, Teaching Black Lives Don't Matter. Um, I started my master's degree in 2016. A lot was happening then where it's coming yes. off of Philando Castile, Austin Brown, like all of that. And so I was talking about what happens when you don't teach about Black contributions across disciplines in our curriculum that you're essentially saying that our lives don't matter before we even get to the police. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I came to Purdue to do American studies. And I was basically looking for a path that would mix my love of entrepreneurship with my love for educating people. And so um, American studies has been that place. And I also stumbled into food trucks because I love food. So it became a space <laughs> for me to talk about business and education and food and eat all at the same time. So what's funny is you had a, a very interesting path. It seems like you arrived at your niche. They always say like you're undergraduate. So your foundation is a uh, inch deep and a mile long. And then once you get to your doctoral work, it is an inch long and a mile deep. And what I was so impressed by with you is the fact that, you know, food trucks is a subculture of, of food, but then black food trucks is even a more niche topic. Mm -hmm. So I'm really curious how you, you said like, you know, you were interested in food, but why food trucks and what interested you about that scene? Yo, so uh, in 20, I want to say 2014, because I graduated in 2015, uh, UAB tore down our beloved HUC, which was the best student center we ever had. Mm. And in while we was, you know, doing the whole rebuilding and whatnot, they had food trucks come in. And that's what we was using our diamond dollars and blazer bucks on. And there was this one particular food truck I loved. It was like a Saw Street Kitchen. Um, they had the grilled wings with the white Alabama barbecue sauce. Ooh, and I that sounds it. good. Facts. Okay. And then, <laughs> so we had that moment. Then there was also the moment of um, my pastor in Birmingham. Uh, they was making fun of him because he had never been to Travis Chicago style food truck, which is the first food truck in Birmingham. Um, I would even confidently say Jefferson County. And I would go on to say even possibly uh, the state of Alabama, like Travis ah, was okay. in the 90s. Like he was around in the 90s. Like my mom uh, was my age in her 20s going to Travis. I see. Okay. Okay. And it was like, you ain't never had Travis. Like he's always <laughs> at the Magic City Classic. Like you ain't never had him. And so he was talking about it in church one day. He said, y'all gonna stop making fun of me. I'm bringing Travis next week to the church. So he did. And I had Travis because I too hadn't had him at that point. And it was amazing. I said, I got to find this brother wherever he pull wherever up Wherever he's at, at. okay. <laughs> wherever he pull up at, there I will be in the midst of him, okay? And so... I had my mom on a search for Travis. We found some food trucks that were similar to him. I was like, it ain't him, but I'll take it too. So I started, you know, paying attention to food trucks before I left Birmingham and they became more of an interest when I was in Nashville. But when I got to Purdue is really when it became the research. So it started how all good research ideas do after Mm -hmm. the shower, scrolling through Instagram. 
And I see, <laughs> I see a lot of my That's friends. That's an important time. That's an important it time. It is. It, <laughs> it's an important time. I just want you to know if you're struggling with your dissertation topic, wait till about 10, 30, 11 o'clock in the morning, go take you a shower, come out. And when you're supposed to be putting your lotion on, go through Instagram. You'll probably find it. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I'm seeing like friends and people I went to school with, they're posting food all on Instagram, all on Facebook. And they're like, oh, I just tried this new food truck. And there are all these Black-owned food trucks in Birmingham. They got these delicious food that I had not tried because they weren't there when after well, I left. You, I left in 2016. Yeah. So I was heated, Gio. I was like, how dare <laughs> all of these places pop up after I leave Birmingham? I'm a native daughter. Y'all couldn't come up with this before I left? Right, I'm right. With no seasoning, like up here, <laughs> pepper is spicy and I'm, I'm struggling. How dare y'all? So I wanted to know, was it because of gentrification? You know, Birmingham uh, was and is going through gentrification, you mm-hmm. know, property rates are going up. So in my head, I was wondering, was there a correlation between the rising property values? And now we're seeing um, more and more African-American uh, restaurateurs get into the food truck industry because when a place gentrifies, it gentrifies around a tech scene, a music scene, or a food scene for the most part. And so food is a big part of entering into the game. So I was thinking maybe, you know, they want to participate in this new wave of, you know, money that is to be had, right? Mm-hmm. the property rates are too high. So that's what I thought. So I started, you know, going through the the university database trying to see was there any scholar that had talked about that and i saw some that talked about gentrification and the latinx community with food trucks i even saw an article that talked about um gentrification is a sign you can tell it's there when you see white gourmet food trucks no one was Ah. talking black food trucks and i said what does that mean and so I came to class later on that day. My professor was like, so how those midterm papers coming? And we all just stared at him like an episode out of RuPaul's Drag Race. (laughs) (laughs) And he says, you know what? How about y'all don't worry about your dissertation topic? Just write me an eight to 10 page paper about what question is on your mind right now. That was the question that was on my mind. So I wrote that paper. I got an A on that paper. He said, I really like this, this angle that you're taking. And he started pushing me with all these questions. And I said, you know what? Let me find out that your girl can get a PhD while eating. Like that could be a move and it has been a move. <laughs> oh, I love that. You know, eat your way to the PhD. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, that is fantastic. And, and, you know, you made a really important point just there. And I haven't thought about that before. Um, how gentr- how the signs of gentrification, right? Or mm-hmm. um, the cultural changes that, you know, gentrification is coming. So, like Birmingham, Philadelphia has a lot of gentrification right now. Um, and what are we seeing? Top restaurateurs moving in and starting to put their restaurants in neighborhoods that they traditionally wouldn't have, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and property value is going up, 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 and people want to live near there. Um, and it, it's it's crazy, but I never conceptualized it as that. So mm-hmm. in thinking now about Birmingham, um, you said the food scene really grew there um, and and you thought maybe that was attributed to gentrification. Have you seen that in other places in the United States specifically um, as it comes to food trucks and like that gentrification piece? I think without a doubt, you got to talk about Portland. Mm. You know, Portland is a a food truck city, you know? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And they have scholars. um, I, I know his last name is 
Flood. I'm blanking on his first name. He's an American studies scholar. Okay. And he put out a piece about Portland music, food, sustainability, and gentrification. Um, we got to also talk about L.A. L.A. is a city rich in um, food truck culture, street vending culture. They passed some of the strictest laws in the country at the time in 1921. So they're not new to this. They're true to this. I see. But, you know, when food trucks and gentrification come into the mix with them, a lot of times it's really about also citizenship, immigration, mm-hmm. and the Latinx Mexican-American community. So on the cover of Time Magazine in like 2008, 2009, I want to say it was 2008, though, um, but it had to be one of those two years. So forgive me if I can't get it exact. But I know it's one of those No two problem. <laughs> um, the cover of Time Magazine was the Great Taco Truck War. Ah, and what was happening is that um, the East L.A. City Council uh, really came under fire because that area was expected to go through gentrification, like some developers were interested in that area. They're going to do some things, ship some things in 2009, and they wanted to push out the Latinx taco trucks that was in the area because they called them, according to the city council at the time, quote unquote, an unsightly form of vending. Hmm. And so there was this rift, right? Because now you got these developers coming in. They want to make this a middle to high class area, but this area is predominantly Latinx and they see these food trucks, these lanchetas as uh, forms of community building. Like they don't move. Like they stay in that area, that one place, you know where to go. And they have been a part of the community and a part of the culture. And they're saying you're erasing part of the cultural identity of this area and then you're going to say that we're unsightly like you don't want to see us right it's like trying to push them out right right and that's exactly what was going on so you have issues like that you can point to new orleans um new orleans is a prime conversation about gentrification especially the displacement of black people specifically um after Hurricane Katrina, you have over 100,000 Black residents that have yet to return to New Orleans, not because they didn't want to, but because they were pushed out. And I have to be very clear about that. Right. At the mm-hmm. same time, what happened was that you had people who were second line street vendors. So to know New Orleans culture, um, to be very brief, when someone passes away, uh, their funeral processions are very different from the quote unquote typical procession. So it has two parts, the dirge, which is a very solemn procession. Um, It's a step that they actually do with it. And they're passing by uh, that deceased persons like favorite places that they would normally Mm. go it's a path along that and then the part that most people are familiar with on television or popular culture is the very upbeat part of the uh, funeral procession which is called the second line so the second line is actually it's not just like a a dance that everybody you know really gets excited about and people walking out with you know umbrellas and stuff traditionally that comes from a funeral procession. So they've done the mourning and now they're celebrating the life of that person in the second line. I see. I see. What would happen, mm -hmm, what would happen was that you had black vendors who would be out, you know, along the path that the, the people would go through selling food and water and all this type of stuff. Well, after New Orleans, they was trying to tax those second line vendors who all but one at the time were black. Meanwhile, the city is also subsidizing white gourmet food truckers to come into the area. So they're trying to take money from second line street vendors 
who are, you know, providing food for a long funeral procession. Right. They're trying to subsidize and pay, incentivize white gourmet food truckers to come into the area. So I hope that this provides like different lenses of how you can look at gentrification, race, citizenship, um, the quote unquote elevation of culture when we use terms such as gourmet versus a taco truck or a lanchetta and the tensions that can exist in different cities over food trucks. No, and I I think one, thank you for sharing, dropping all that knowledge um, and all that history. I, I don't think that people realize just how deep it goes. I think sometimes we just scratch the surface on what systemic racism looks like, especially in the food and beverage industry. And I think just the brief history that you provided shows how racism is embedded in like the fabric, not just of our country, but in our cities, you know, in the food industry. And um, I, you know, I just was eye open. So <laughs> a little lost for words because I didn't know all that. But yeah. in, in thinking about that, I guess my next next question would be, what is the state of the Black food truck culture? Because it seems to really be growing and blossoming and a lot more people, at least from what I can see from Instagram and, and articles that have been written, are getting into the food truck game. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, we started seeing, in, in my personal opinion, an uptick starting in 2013. You know, okay. 2013, everybody's eyes, for the most part, were on L.A. with Trap Kitchen, Nays Tacos, All Flavor, No Grease. Like, uh, the people that we now see as uh, Instagram celebrity chefs, we start seeing that rise. Like, that's when they're starting to come into prominence. And by 2016, right. you know, they're everywhere. Um, that's not to say that black food truckers did not exist beforehand. Cause like I said, Travis was out in the nineties. We, we've always had a form of street food vending. Like the oldest street food vendors in America were, uh, West African women in the 1600s and 1700s. So we're not new to this, we're true to this, but we are seeing black folks get into the food truck industry at larger rates than ever before, especially in the South, which isn't surprising when we look at population-wise, but we're also seeing them um, on the West Coast doing great things. We're even seeing more and more food trucks come out in the Midwest, uh, more so, uh, so much so that I had um, a chamber of commerce in, in in Illinois reach out to me last year uh, to talk about, you know, you know, building talking about the food truck industry and what food truckers could think about. It was the uh, Black Chamber of Commerce at the time that said, "Hey, uh, can you come in and talk to us?" about, you know, the trends that you're seeing in the industry because we're having more and more um, Black people enter the food truck industry like never before. Um, I remember when I first started doing this in Birmingham, there was a good amount of food trucks there. But now I went back home August of 2020 to surprise my mom for her birthday. And from the moment I got off the exit on 65, there was literally no exaggeration of food truck on every corner. Oh, wow. In that's Birmingham, crazy. Yes. Like Birmingham, like 73, 74% black. Yeah. So most of those food trucks are black owned. And so that just gives you a growth of like just where we were 2017, 2018. to now we're in 2021 and black people are really into this game now. It's amazing to see um, or to hear at least that there's a, a surgence of it or a surge of black food trucks 
across the country um, and that more and more people are getting into the game. Why do you think that food trucks, um, specifically for Black entrepreneurs in the food industry, uh, have gotten so popular? Well, we can't ignore the access to capital. Yeah. We got to talk about that. So 2014, Washington Post put out an article that said that Black and Latinx um, entrepreneurs, when they go for a small business loan of $60,000, they are at least um, about 40 to, I want to say 40, but quote me on the article, I'll, I'll send you a link, that they are more likely to be discriminated against for, than a white entrepreneur when the business plan is the same, credit score is the same, educational background is the same, and even when the attire that they are wearing is similar. So we can't ignore access to capital is number one. And we know that the food and beverage industry is volatile. Like, yeah, it you can be open today, gone tomorrow. And let something like COVID happen is really going to hit hard. So a food truck allows you a flexibility that a brick and mortar doesn't in the sense that you can travel to where a greater audience may be. Conversely, if you want to be fixed in a place, you can. Um, there's less overhead expenses. Yeah. Harold's Chicken in Chicago showed us that they had three brick and mortar locations, the one on 82nd Street. Um, the people that owned that strip mall was trying to charge an ast- astronomical amount of rent money and a percent of their yearly sales. They said, nah, we ain't doing that. They shut down that 82nd Street location, put their food trailer in the parking lot of that location and said, instead of paying you all that money, we're going to keep it. And we're still going to keep our customers. Right. That's a positive story of how using food trucks has helped businesses pivot their strategy and remain successful. Absolutely. And it's also the novelty of a food truck. So the food truck has really fought hard and in some spaces still is fighting to overcome that stigma of being a roach coach, of being a place that isn't regulated by the health department and all this type of stuff and that you're going to get sick and whatever the cases may be. And not saying that every food truck is perfect because not every brick and mortar is perfect either, but the food truck has really stepped into um, the public sphere where now a food truck Friday is cool. Now food truck festivals are common. Now mm-hmm. we got TV shows on Food Network that are about food trucks. Now Guy Fieri pulls up to a food truck on diners driving and dive. So it's now become this popular thing and people really look forward to going to a food truck because they know they're going to get something unique. It's kind of creating that um, for lack of a better terms, the excitement of going to a fair or a carnival and the food that you get there, you know that you really can't find it nowhere else. And it kind of creates that type of experience at a food truck as well. And people really are into that. Yeah, it's funny. As you were just just saying that, I thought about my hometown. I'm actually from a small town in Pennsylvania, York, Pennsylvania. And mm-hmm. It had to be about two years ago now, because obviously with the pandemic, the last year has been kind of shot, Um, but they had a food truck festival and they had it in the city. And I believe the city of of York is probably 75% black. Um, And I remember a lot of the people I'd grown up, I've grown, I had grown up with mentioning on Facebook that they had never seen so many white people like at Penn Park, which is (laughs) our like central park right near the high school for the food mm-hmm. truck festival. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, damn, York is having a food truck festival. Like that's new to me. Like that feels like something in the big city, but I see a lot of people jumping on that bandwagon. I love that you say that because um, in an interview that I did 
um, that's going to come out of my podcast later on. I, I was talking about projections that I see for the food truck industry. And, you know, a lot of people saying that, oh, the food truck industry is going to grow, but like that peak point is kind of past, right? And this overly saturated. Um, I disagree with that mm. in the sense that the people who are saying that, in my opinion, they're focusing on major cities, Atlanta, Denver, Miami, Orlando, Tampa, um, New York, LA, you know, the first national food truck report, they took 20 cities into account. It was like some of the biggest cities that we have. Okay. Yeah. They're going to get saturated at some point, but what's going to happen is that you got your medium sized cities and you got your smaller cities that are now going to create this ripple effect that are now going to have food trucks because that's going to be an attraction to their cities, especially cities that have, there are basically like college towns. Yep. Mm-hmm. I think that's going to be the third frontier. I think it's going to go more to the medium cities second. And then we're going to start seeing college towns are going to experience an uptick in food trucks. Now, whether or not how those food trucks operate, I can't say, but I do expect to see an uptick in food trucks in small to medium cities, as well as cities that are basically college towns. Yeah. And, and I can definitely, I can definitely see where that is the case uh, because you go where the people are, right? And college mm-hmm. students love fast food at time, you know, cheaper food and not that uh, all food trucks have cheaper food or a cheaper price point, but um, I definitely can see where there's an allure for, for college students as it, as it relates to food trucks specifically. So you mentioned this um, just briefly when you were talking about it, that you have some upcoming podcast episodes. And I mentioned that you are a leader of the Food Truck Scholar podcast. Fantastic name. I would love to know why you decided to start a podcast and um, how you decided to center it on food trucks and specifically Black food trucks. All right. So really, the quick and dirty of it was that I decided... I was not going to wait for someone to give me a platform when I could build it. So I thought that, okay, you know, I'm, I'm doing this research and my dissertation specifically on black owned food trucks mm-hmm. and like how they're left out of media and how they are left out of conversations by academic scholars and by business folks. And I thought that, you know, if I published my butt off and got into these top journals and, you know, Somebody would see the work that I'm doing and, you know, maybe somebody from a network or streaming service, you know, maybe Netflix or Food Network or somebody would be like, hey, maybe we should have her, you know, on a judge for Mm -hmm. a show or maybe, you know, we should work with her by getting a, you know, a TV show that we could expose these stories. Like I'm thinking that that's how this works. That's not how this works, you know, <laughs> but I nope. had to have a moment. <laughs> it's just not how it works. And I had to have a moment with myself where it's like, you do know that you don't have to wait for anyone to do for you what you could do for yourself. If this is something that you're passionate with doing, like that's a burning desire for you is to serve this industry in that capacity then it's your responsibility. And so I decided that I was going to, you know, work on building my own show. Like that's how Issa Rae did it. Yep, that is true. (laughs) So, you know, I was like, instead of waiting to be discovered, I'm going to pull an Issa and create my own stuff. And so I started, the first place I ever went, I went in person to Peoria, Illinois, and I had an undergrad guy, shout out to Hakeem Bryant, who went with me and filmed it. 
I didn't know what I was doing. I just had some questions. I was very excited. I just really wanted to get the story. Um, a lot of hiccups happened that day, but at the end, he asked me how I felt about it. And I said, I feel like I could be doing something that I want to do for the rest of my life. And mm. I've never felt that before. And so I realized very soon that I don't know cameras like that at the time. And so I was like, you know, I probably should make these virtual because I don't think I'll be able to travel everywhere just yet. So I started doing Instagram lives. First Instagram live was with Chef Sassy, um, season nine contestant of the Great Food Trick Race. And then I did about four more Instagram lives after that. And I was like, you know, I like Instagram live, but connection can be unstable. And if things go wrong, it's happening in the moment. Podcasting mm -hmm. might be the way for, you know, any hiccups to happen. We can, you know, take care of that in the post-production and it'll allow me to meet more folks. And then you can always easily replay that story. You know, that's a little bit more difficult with Instagram live. And so that's kind of how I went into the podcasting. I felt as if not only I didn't want to wait for someone to give me a platform, I also wanted to make sure that what I did was reciprocal. Like for my dissertation, I got to do interviews. I got to talk to people about their experiences, how they feel they've been left out or, you know, what their experiences just are, period. For and, sure. You know, they're going to take time out their day to do that. What am I giving back to them that they can sit down and say, you know, beyond, hey, I helped this young lady with her schoolwork. What did they get out of it? All right, right. And that's why I wanted to do it. Yeah, that's that's phenomenal. Um, and, you know, one thing I've been talking to a lot of content creators, po podcasters over the, the past, since I started the podcast, but really over the past year. And one of the things that you hit on that I think is so important to realize is the importance of creating platforms made by us. Um, because there's things we're going to consider that once the mainstream people who are involved aren't going to consider and, and they're not going to share our perspectives in the same way. The second piece is creating content that you own <laughs> and mm -hmm. that you can do some different things with. You know, when we have the Instagrams and the Facebooks of the world, and they're great tools for getting your brand out there. And um, just because of how accessible they are by everyone, but it's nothing like your own content that you've created and that you own and that you can, can share. Um, and I, I think that's just an important point for people who are in the creator or, or thinking about being in the creator space, the digital content creator specifically, um, that it's always a good way to go. It's always a good way to go. And you're evidence of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We've got some projects coming out and I look back and I was like, you know, I'm really glad that I did this route. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, it, it's obvious your success, you know, I was on your website and I also saw that in addition to the podcast, you do some food truck consulting. Now, was that a, a goal or is that something that evolved out of, you know, doing the podcast and your research? It evolved. Um, so I, I quickly learned that the food truck scholar means different things to different people. So to my committee, it means, you know, this is a public way to engage in my scholarship and complete my degree. To me at the time, it meant the same thing. That I want to create a platform that is not only about my research, but is about uh, the Black entrepreneurs that I'm meeting every day that they can share with their networks and, you know, hopefully uh, create a bigger platform for them. But I quickly learned this for some food truckers, they started emailing me. It was like, so um, 
do you know of any courses that I can take about management for food trucking because I got to train some new folks or have you, I seen that you've been to Atlanta. I seen that you've been to LA. What's their food truck structure like over there? Like how do they handle employees? Do they be out year round? Like what do they do? Like we're seasonal. And so mm. I quickly learned that for the food truckers, yeah, the platform is great, but they're also looking for advice. They're also looking for support. Now, let me say this. I'm not a food trucker and I never pretend to be one. I will never pretend that. Right, now, I've, right. hopped, I've hopped on quite a few <laughs> and seen what it's like being in that space and the tight amount, you know, that you got to work with and all that type of stuff. But I'm not a food trucker. I never pretend that. And I'm upfront about that. But what I will do is say, hey, based upon my observations of being to almost 500 food trucks and interviewing close to 100 of them and being a customer of, I don't want to admit how many food trucks I've ate at so far, um, I can tell you from a researcher, from a journalist, and from a food truck customer perspective, the following things that would be great for you to have. As a journalist, I get a chance to be connected to the apps, to the online ordering systems, to anything that you can imagine about the food truck industry. I have access to that. I have access right. to the leaders that run that. And I get to ask questions that you may not be able to get to. So I have that type of resource. And I realized very quickly that the consulting piece comes in. And that's basically what that allows me to do. Well, I will say this. If I was going to be starting a food truck, I'm not, but if I was, <laughs> you'd be the first stop just because you are a wealth of knowledge and, and you provide that knowledge in a very genuine and accessible way. So uh, I can naturally see how consulting, especially in this space, suits you and um, suits your personality. And I would recommend you to anybody. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. We've talked a little bit about like what you're doing currently, and I know you are a PhD student and you are working on your dissertation. Um, as you know, I just finished mine in December. Yes, congratulations. Um, <laughs> and while it wasn't focused on food, I actually looked at how um, I was interested in diversity in STEM and how mm. uh, people of color, um, my dissertation was actually on women of color, can leverage technology, so social media, um, mm -hmm. Zoom, <laughs> uh, digital tools to build social capital mm -hmm. and how that social capital helps them grow uh, their financial capital. So uh, that that was really interesting. And, and um, even thinking about just how we met via Clubhouse um, and, and now following each other on Instagram and seeing the sessions you've led for food, food truckers and, and Black food truckers, one thing that I think is important is the role that technology plays in that oh, yeah. and, um, and how technology does keep us connected. But we're also, a lot of times, education is the missing piece to why people can't you know, education and information is the missing piece to a lot of the barriers that people encounter, especially Black mm -hmm. folks, um, when we're trying to build our own businesses. Uh, Absolutely. So with all that being said, um, you are building, you have already built a solid brand, but what is next for you? Uh, how do you want to continue to grow and evolve in um, the podcast and the Food Truck Scholar itself? 
Well, um, I haven't said this anywhere yet. So you're the first person to to get this. Oh, an I'm exclusive. Working... Yes. <laughs> um, we're working on our first book uh, that we are aiming to be released by this summer. Um, congratulations. Then, congratulations. That's you. amazing. Thank you. Thank you. And, and that book is really going to um, throw some 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 highlights on some of the black owned food trucks that I've been able to encounter um, and not just their stories, but, you know, how their stories have impacted me and lessons that I've learned and how it has ultimately helped shifted the brand, um, honestly. So I'm looking forward to releasing that. Um, we are in the process now of looking at what a conference would look like um, for the food truck industry. So mm. we've been on Clubhouse. Uh, follow me at Food Truck Scholar. Every Tuesday, we do something that's called All Things Food Trucks. And we now have an All Things Food Trucks Club. And what the magic of that is really not me necessarily as much as it is um, just being very grateful that I'm connected to great people. And every week I open up that room, I have food truckers, food truck consultants, uh, food, small business accountants, you, you name it, whatever we need that week. I organize the room. Mm. I bring those folks in and I introduce everybody on that panel. We, I may ask questions and then we have people come on stage and, you know, they're asking you know, for advice, some insight, they're sharing, other people come into the room and they start sharing information. So it's not even so much me as much as the fact that I'm curating a space for food truckers to just meet, connect, network, get advice. And we plan to continue doing that. Um, and I've used that clubhouse as a, you know, kind of like a test launch of what topics are really pressing so that I can incorporate that into the conference. So we're looking forward to that as well. Um, also sponsorships. So very excited to announce that the Food Truck Scholar podcast will be sponsored uh, moving forward, starting with season three, but we're still dedicated to making sure that food trucker voices are the primary focus of the show. That's not, uh, that's not going to change, but one of our sponsors is Eat Okra, which helps you find mm. black owned restaurants and food trucks. So very excited to partner with them and to support them um, on their journey and the great work that they're doing. So looking forward to ways to, you know, help them get their story out, but not, not only their story, but also some of the stories of the chefs that they've um, encountered on their platform. So looking forward to supporting storytelling efforts because a lot of chefs, they got great food. A lot of food truckers got great food, but sometimes that storytelling piece about like why they're in this space and like what their food aims to do beyond filling you up is sometimes not always there. And so I'm yeah. looking for ways to support them in that aspect so very excited about just some of the opportunities that's coming up in 2021 so ariel it is time for a table topic and table Ooh. topics are a part of my show where my guest i.e you get to share some knowledge in your area expertise which by now everybody knows it is black owned food trucks so <laughs> what I thought we would do for you is I thought we could do a little rapid fire round of some categories I've come up with the food trucks to give a few more some shine. How does that sound? 
Yeah, you did send them to me, but I also always struggle with picking my favorite. So this is still going to be hard. Go ahead. We All right. So <laughs> if you are back home in Birmingham, Alabama, and you Ooh, want geez. a good quick lunch, what food truck are you visiting? All shucks. Yeah, I'm craving them right now. Um, see, Birmingham got a lot of great food trucks in the area, but they are the state's first uh, roasted gourmet corn tr- uh, food truck or trailer. And they got like creamy lemon pepper, lemon rosemary, parmesan, mm. um, teriyaki, takis, Mexican street corn. They got a lot going on, but they are addicting and yeah, yeah, we're going to all shucks. <laughs> uh, so, what's it? What's the name of the food truck? All like when you say oh, all shucks, all shucks because of the oh, because of the shuck in the corn. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> see, see, they got you. They got you. All shucks. Okay, okay. So that's where you're in Birmingham. So you live in Indianapolis now, right? Because that's where uh, uh, Purdue is. Yeah, about an hour north of Indianapolis. I'm in West Lafayette, Indiana. Got it. So if you are in Indiana and you're looking for something, what's your go-to or what's the one you visit the most? Um, Since I live in West Lafayette, we don't have a Black-owned food truck. Ah, uh, okay. So we don't have a Black-owned food truck in West Lafayette, so I go to Guac Box. I love, uh, I love his food. If I'm in Indianapolis, though, and I'm at, I'm looking for a food truck. I usually would hit up R and R Wings, R and R Extreme Wings, and I get like their um, Founders Wings. Got a little bit of a kick to it. Maybe like some honey barbecue and some loaded fries. Mm. See, you're making me hungry. I'm gonna have to go. Maybe stop by a food truck after this. Um. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I have three more, and I, I think these are pretty fun. So you've. You said you've interviewed over a hundred food trucks. Um, mm-hmm. What is one of the most inventive or innovative Black-owned food trucks that you feel you've come across? Oh, um, by design of the truck, I got to go for Lip Smacking Creations Food Medic. He took a 2007, I think, ambulance and turned it into a food truck. Wow. So, so he took I got an ambulance and turned it into a food truck. To a food truck. Yeah. Yeah. He's a and- great story. And what did he serve? Now, what does he serve? It sounds like mac and cheese, but. <laughs> <laughs> so he got like turkey ribs. He got wings. Um, one day you got to interview him because he got something that's called like the kitty cat dip dog. And as you can do the like. The kitty cat dip dog. Okay. Dip dog. Like, I ain't going to explain all of that. You got to have okay. one show to explain it. Okay. But like. Bye. <laughs> By design, I, I would definitely say Lips Man Creations Food Medic. Um, in terms of like the actual food itself, some of my favorites, Pop Goes the Waffle in St. Peter, Petersburg, Florida. Mm. Uh, she has a grits waffle. You say mac and cheese. She has a mac and cheese waffle. So she has savory and sweet waffles. She really pushes uh, the idea of what you think waffles are supposed to be it was mm. because of her I learned that waffle does not mean the actual like flavor it really speaks to the design of the food ah. so waffle could be anything I didn't know that uh, <laughs> interesting so, so it's like the the process of stuffing stuffing things in like a pancake batter yeah so it's like the actual like 
shape and design of a waffle how it has like those little grids kind of like a honeycomb oh yes 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 yeah so like that is like the waffle but it can be made out of anything it can be made out of anything it has nothing to do with the ingredient it has everything to do with the shape and the design and that makes it a waffle didn't know that got it okay okay i didn't know that either so that's a good tip so my next to my last, the next to the last one is I'm a, I got quite a bit of a sweet tooth, Ariel, not going to lie. <laughs> when you think of a best dessert centered food truck, what would you recommend? The beignet bar. The beignet bar. Is that in New Orleans? Nashville. Nope. Nashville, Tennessee, actually. Okay. <laughs> um, but sis has been to New Orleans and she and it ain't just your regular beignets. I think that's why I have to say her. Uh, and she knows whenever I meet up with her in, in uh, Nashville, I have to get her peach stuffed beignets. So she mm. got a maple bacon beignet, a banana foster, a peach filled beignet, and then like the, the OG, the regular uh, beignets. Oh, Wow. They even taste good when, when you heat them up like that. That's a rarity. <laughs> let me tell you something. <laughs> Everything doesn't take good good when you wrap it up <laughs> or, or nah. when you reheat it or when you, you know, nah. yeah, not everything does. So that's but that's good. a move. That's a move. And the good sis is also a doctoral student as well. Well, then we have to support her. She's part of the uh, Black Doctor Club. You, you exactly. <laughs> Got to support her. Uh, so last but not least, this isn't a specific, but... We've talked about Birmingham um, and uh, some of the other cities that have food trucks. What would you say is the best up-and-coming city uh, with mm. Black-owned food trucks? Hmm. Um, I'm biased. So in some ways, I, I have to say Birmingham because Birmingham is that city that people sleep on when it comes mm-hmm. down to the food scene. Um, because everybody's saying Atlanta. And I'm I'm, going to say Birmingham, actually, and people can copy bias or whatever. But when they listed the top 20 cities to pay attention to with food trucks and the U.S. Chamber of Commerce came out with that, it was like May 28th, 29th of 2019. They did not include Birmingham. Mm. Well, Birmingham got, I'm talking about chefs that are just, you know, a beast in what they do. You got people that have been on Food Network multiple times mm-hmm. that are now food truckers that are just doing amazing work in the community that are, and not only food truckers, but they're branching out and they're getting brick and mortars too. Like just off the top of my head, Urban Smoke with Draper Mason. He took a food truck, bought an old um, Pizza Hut and has renovated and it's beautiful. Uh, Raquel got Eat at the Panoptic. They're working on their brick and mortar. She literally launched in the middle of a pandemic. Mm. Her food truck, like that's the thing that I think stands out to me about Birmingham. There's at least three food trucks off the top of my head. I'm thinking about Eat at Panoptic, Simone's Kitchen ATL, and the Underground Vegan. All three of them came out in 2020. 2021, all three of them are now building and opening brick and mortars, which is Absolutely amazing, considering the fact that the food and beverage sector took a hit and people are closing mm-hmm. their doors. And for them to come out in a food truck in 2020, the dead middle of it, and 
tear up the scene the way that they have in Birmingham and then announce that they're doing a brick and mortar and it's opening in the next couple of months for some of them, it's just absolutely insane. So if people haven't paid attention to the food truck scene in Birmingham and more specifically the black food truck scene, they should. A lot of the, those um, food truckers like Simone's Kitchen, um, she ran a food truck, a black food truck classic in lieu of the Magic City Classic being shut down due to COVID. She's also responsible for creating a food truck park in Centerpoint mm. um, as well. So like there's a lot of movers and shakers in the food truck scene uh, in Birmingham that's doing a whole lot for the community and more specifically the black community. Well, no one would know better than you. And so I fully believe you. And I have not been to Birmingham, but you just sold it for me. So I, I think I need to put that on the bucket list post uh, pandemic. So thank you, Ariel, so much for joining me. I hope that uh, my listeners can follow you and see all the great things you're doing. If they want to follow you and get in touch, uh, how do they make that happen? Absolutely. So thank you so much. If you want to follow me on Instagram, uh, the handle is the food truck scholar. If you want to follow me on Facebook, it's the same thing. The food truck scholar. Now on Twitter and Clubhouse, they wouldn't let me be great with all the letters I needed. (laughs) (laughs) So on those two platforms is food truck scholar. That's S-C-H-O-L-A on Twitter and Clubhouse. Um, also subscribe to the Food Truck Scholar on YouTube. So we got some great things that's going to come out on YouTube as well. As far as the podcast, I got to go into my podcasting voice. You can listen to the Food Truck Scholar podcast available now on Apple, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Amazon, and wherever else you listen to your other favorite podcast. Yes, work. <laughs> <laughs>